continue this week on our study uh, of the fear of man. We started last week basically a seven-part series, and this is the week two. We're going from uh, the fear of man to fear of God. And as I stated last week, um, the majority of this material, pretty much the meat, uh, the bones, and a lot of the meat of this material comes from Capitol Hills Baptist Church, which is Mark Devers Church there in Washington, D.C., and he's made this study available free online, and we've taken it and tweaked it in some spots, and I will do my best to where I can, uh, if there's a quote or something I'm pulling directly from their notes, I contribute that to them, but a lot of this is uh, their material, and we um, put our thoughts to it as well. Let me review last week. We looked at uh, what it means to fear man, how this is a universal struggle for all, why we fear man, how Scripture speaks about the topic, and we concluded that fear of man is simply a signal that you're either not fearing God at all um, or you're fearing God less than you should. And we will continue this study by beginning this week talking about what does it mean to fear God, the, the opposite side of the fear of man. Last week, fear of man. This week, fear of God. Let me give us a working definition, um, not from my thoughts, but from Ed Welch who wrote, When People Are Big and God Is Small. Uh, he would give a working definition on the fear of God, and I believe it's correct, and we'll go to Scripture this morning to prove thus. But here would be the definition we're going to work with this morning. Fear of, fear of God meaning reverent submission that leads to obedience. Reverent submission that leads to obedience. Consider this thought. We, Christian or non Believer in Christ or not, are designed from the beginning to fear God. Consider this. We were designed to fear God. And if our existence on earth and for eternity is to glorify God, and as we discussed a little bit last week, fear is simply a sign of worship. They're very closely correlated, connected. We'll talk about more of that this morning. But fear of man would be a worship of self, and a fear of God would be a worship of God. And so, if we're designed to fear God, that will culminate in worship. And we're going we're gonna to go to Scripture this morning and actually see that fear of God was around when it was all perfect. The Garden of Eden, before the fall, there was the fear of God. It has been shifted, it's been added to now, as we'll discuss, but it was there. The fear of the Lord, as Proverbs says, is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Without the fear of the Lord, we do not have godly wisdom, any wisdom at all. And without godly wisdom, we will in no way be able to comprehend the meaning of our existence on this earth. Unable to comprehend why death and sickness and sorrow and pain go together with tears and joy and riches and beauty and blessings. But if we fear the Lord, we begin to understand and realize our existence of what it can be in its fullest as creatures created by the Creator. Let me give you a little roadmap of where we're going this morning. We're going to look at Scripture to see why we should fear the Lord, what it means to fear the Lord, the results of fearing the Lord, how we were created and designed to live in the fear of the Lord, how we lost the fear of the Lord, and then that would beg the question, did we ever have it? How to regain the proper fear of the Lord is provided by Christ. We'll look at a couple obstacles to fearing the Lord, as we should, and some examples in Scripture of those who feared the Lord more than man. Let's go to Genesis 1. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Let's answer the question, first off, why should we fear the Lord? Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us, and I would point your attention to the us factor there, the us word, there would be, at least in, from what I can see in Scripture, one of the first references to the Trinity. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then go with me to verse 31. Probably a page over in your Bible. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was not just good, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning 
the sixth day. We've been created in the image of God. We've been created to be in dominion over God's creation. And we were created originally, even now, we've been created to live in perfect harmony with God. To have all of our devotion centered upon Him alone in order that we might reflect to the world as His image bearers the glory of God. And I would, I would note that when Adam and Eve were created, there was no fear between them. There was no shame between the two of them. There was no thought of rejection or physical harm between the two of them. And their, their nakedness that you see in Genesis 1 is a picture of that. There was no, no fear at all. Because both of them were in complete existence for the glory of God alone. They were there for a greater purpose than themselves. They were there to worship because of the fear of the Lord. And we would go back to our working definition, reverent submission that leads to obedience. That obedience will be worshipful to God. Consider this quote from the study notes here on this fear of man. Quote, He, meaning God, created man to be like him, to bear his image, and this is what I would call a key, but not to be over him. Not to be over him. He created them that though we would be a representation of him, we would still live in fear of him. Now, the garden we did not have to fear before the fall of his judgment and his wrath. He was just he's, he is and always will be supreme. We are his creatures. He was the creator. So there was a fear factor there, but it was uh, not the same way we associate fear now. It was an awe. It was a reverence. And it did lead to obedience in that they walked with the Lord. But they certainly didn't have the fear of his judgment and his wrath because there was no sin. There was fear of man in the garden. There was not fear of man in the garden. We were created to be like him and bear his image. But from the beginning, we were not equal to God. We were never over him. Fear of God, reverent submission is worshipful to God. It is glorifying to God, and that's what Adam and Eve were doing, worshiping the Lord in submission to Him. Now, I would love to stop here and call fellowship time and say, well, we've got this because we know why we were created, and it was from the beginning, so go and worship the Lord and go and fear the Lord. But our sinful hearts need a lot more than that. So Genesis as the starting point, of why we should fear the Lord, because we were created to do so. Let's go to other scriptures. And let me uh, just again, in reference, before we go to Psalms, go ahead and flip in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We're just going to go through Psalms. Um, We can go to certainly many other places in scripture, but we're just going to go through Psalms for the sake of time and seeing why we should fear God. But let me again just um, tie these words, worship and fear, together. When I fear man, I'm elevating myself to a position, to a place reserved only for God. When I fear man, I replace God who has ultimate authority and power over all his creation, including me. Somehow, I'm believing when I fear man that these individuals that I'm fearing have more power than God does. And I've got to do something about that because I am my own God. I have to control this situation. I won't be happy and satisfied, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, unless these people do what I want them to do. So out of fear, I live in fear, hoping to please them, work them, whatever needed in order to satisfy me. See how it's tied to worship? I'm worshiping myself. So I'm going to fear that I fear this person because I'm I'm believing that I'm in control of them somehow and I must move them so that I will be happy and satisfied. And the lie being only Christ can fully satisfy. Only Christ can make us happy. My happiness is found in him alone. Seeking it elsewhere is idolatry. It's worship of self. Worship of self, fear of man, is I want what I want more than I'm interested in God doing whatever he wills for his glory and my good through whoever he may do it. Now, now Psalms. Now, I, 
I have lists of scripture. We may not go through every one of them this morning. Uh, and, I, and if I go too quick for you, email me and I'll send you the list that I have. But we're going to go quickly through here. Psalm 2, verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. The psalmist is, uh, if you look through all of that, Psalm 2 is warning the rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. So why should we fear God? It's out of a heart of what it means to serve the Lord, it would be to fear God. You cannot serve the Lord without fear of Him. Why should we serve Him? Or why should we fear Him? It's service. Psalm 27, verse 1. Why should we fear God? Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? There is no one else that we should fear. The Lord alone is our salvation. We're not our salvation. Circumstances aren't our salvation. Others aren't our salvation. Only the Lord. Psalm 76, verse 7. But you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you? Speaking of God, when once your anger is roused, no one can stand before God's anger. You may be able to stand before the blistering anger of uh, a neighbor or a spouse or a loved one or a friend or an enemy, which no one can stand before God's. Psalm 76, staying in the same chapter, verse 12. Who cuts off the spirit of princes, meaning God who is to be feared by the kings of the earth. God alone rules the rulers. There's no need to fear rulers. There's a healthy fear that may be associated, but there's no need to fear that they can do what God alone can control. Psalm 89, verse 7. A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. There's no one as awesome as God. We flipped that word awesome out. Man, that was awesome. That was just so awesome. And yet that word really should be reserved only for God. He alone is awesome. There's nothing that is awesome as compared to him. Psalm 90, verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? His wrath is equal to the fear he deserves. And yet it's way more than that. We... There are those who fear the judgment of God and they don't have any clue of what that judgment is in its entirety. Psalm 96.4 For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 111. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. All those who practice it have good understanding. Why should we fear the Lord? This is what most people are looking for. Wisdom and understanding about why life happens as it, is, as it does. Psalm 115, verse 11. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You want to help? You want a shield? Fear the Lord. That's why we fear the Lord. Verse 13 in that same passage. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. God's blessing comes to those who fear the Lord. Psalm 118, verse 4. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. We have such a, a stereotypical thought of what, the fear, what fear means. So we think, how in the world can fear be associated with love? How can it be associated with anything good? And yet, He is all good and altogether lovely. The fear of God brings his steadfast love in forever and ever and ever. Why should we fear the Lord? In summation, quote, He is intrinsically worthy of fear. The summation of these verses is that God alone is worthy. He alone can bear the weight of your soul's need to worship, unquote. What does it look like to fear the Lord? Continuing in Psalms and uh, in Proverbs as well. What does it look like to fear the Lord? Psalm 22 Verse 23. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him. All you offspring of Israel. Those who fear the Lord, they give praise. And this would, go, this would fly in the face of our culture. 
hey, man, you can just go to a worship service and just feel it. Just put your hand up and just feel it. Well, feelings are associated with the Lord, but you must give him praise. You must articulate the glory of your God. It must come from your mouth. That's why the gospel is good news. It has to be spoken. News has to be proclaimed. It can't just be felt or thought about. News has to be proclaimed. We must give praise. Those who fear the Lord give praise. Psalm 66 By the way, I'm not against hand raising. I'm feeling worship. I love it. Put your hand up more. In fact, more people put your hands up more. So I like that. But you also have to articulate. Psalm 66, verse 16. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. Those who fear the Lord, they tell they articulate, they listen. There's a come and hear, come and hear. So there's that individual there that's fearing the Lord and speaking, articulating, and then there's the other individual that's coming and hearing. They want to listen to the truth. Psalm 76, verse 8. From the heavens you utter judgment, the earth feared and was still. Those who fear the Lord are quiet. It doesn't mean that you don't speak, but that doesn't mean that you have a quietness of soul. And that may mean that you do not speak at some times when you want to, out of fear of the Lord. Out of fear that you would say something that would offend the Lord, that would sin, cause you to sin, or would be sin. Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. They are teachable. A person who fears the Lord is teachable and has an undivided heart. Cannot have a hard heart. Nor can you have a heart that's divided with other idols. It must be undivided. Those who fear the Lord. Psalm 119, 63. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. They follow his precepts. Staying in Psalm 119, moving to verse 74. We were just at 63, now at 74. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I hoped in your word. Those who fear the Lord, it looks like, you want tangible looks, they're hoping in God's word alone. 79, Psalm 119. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. 119 verse 120, my flesh trembles for fear of you and I am afraid of your judgments. Standing in awe of God's law. We so flippantly want to move the law out because we're under grace, we are. And yet, we cannot throw away the first half of the Bible, first two-thirds of the Bible, the law. Psalm 128 verse 1, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in His ways. You can't be a Christian and claim to fear the Lord and not walk in God's ways. It's impossible to do. So if someone comes up to you and questions you about the way you're walking, you can't react, hey man, I'm just, just doing my best. No, you, doing your best is not good enough. It has to be according to God's Word. And He'll give you the grace to live it out. Certainly you'll make mistakes, but you can't just try on your own. You have to use Scripture to know how to walk in his ways. Let's go over to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 29. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose fear of the Lord. This would be the negative aspect of it. Those who, those who do not fear the Lord, they hate knowledge. They hate wanting to know about God. Proverbs 3, verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There's humility for those who are fearing the Lord. See a humble man. See a pride, prideful man. He may not be fearing the Lord as he ought. Or he's struggling with that. Proverbs 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Do you hate evil? Do you hate evil? Proverbs 14, verse 2, last one in this section here. 
Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises, despises him. You want to see a person who fears the Lord? They're going to have an upright walk, a walk that is pleasing to the Lord. Now, my, my sinful heart is longs to find how to fear the Lord outside of Scripture. But really, and if we were honest, if I'm honest, if we're honest, the only way to, 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 to know and develop a fear of the Lord is Scripture, which is why the reading and studying of God's Word is alone where we find out who God is and develop that fear of the Lord. No relationship, uh, no seminar, no conference, no amount of prayer, no experience, nothing reveals God and who He is outside of Scripture. No, those things might those things in them of themselves are good, maybe good, but they, they, they cannot replace what Scripture alone can do, which is give us an understanding of who God is. Only in Scripture do we find the knowledge of our God that we desperately need. What is the fear of the Lord? What is it? Well, Ed Welch described it as reverent submission that leads to obedience. So let's see if that stands up to Scripture. Uh, go back to Psalms, Psalm, Psalm 19, not 119, but Psalm 19. What is the fear of the Lord according to Scripture? It is 19, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It's pure. Psalm 33, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. What is the fear of the Lord? It's something that all the world should do, and it's something that all the world will do. Maybe not now, but certainly in eternity. Psalm 36, 1. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. What is the fear of the Lord? It's something that the wicked will not do. And we could go to Psalm 14 and say, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And it's quoted other places in Scripture the same way. And how often do we act as if there is no God or we are our own God? That's a fool. That's not fear of the Lord. Psalm 64, verse 9. Then all mankind fears, they tell what God has brought about and ponder what He has done. The psalmist, speaking of God's impending judgment, says, Then all mankind will fear. All will ultimately fear God, as was mentioned earlier. Psalm 30, uh, Proverbs 31, verse 30. We would like to keep this proverb just to the ladies, but guys, this applies to us as well. Proverbs 31, verse 30, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman, but a man who fears the Lord is to be praised. What is the fear of the Lord? It's not, it's not characterized by deceptive charm or fleeting beauty. Psalm 112, verse 1, we are told that blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And there are some results. What are those blessings? What are the results of fearing the Lord? Wayne Mack, um, who wrote your, your Family God's Way, put a list together of 22, and this is a, actually had a whole nother list, probably 22 long, that I was going to put. I like this one better, so I switched it. So instead of giving you 44, doing a favor, dropping it down to 22. If you want all 44, email me. But the, um, here are some blessings that come to those who fear the Lord. I'm going to go through these quickly. Psalm 25, 12, they receive divine instruction concerning the choices that they should make. Psalm 25, 13, Psalm 112, 3, they're prosperous in, the, in most important ways. Psalm 31, 19, they experience God's goodness. Psalm 31, 20, they're special objects of God's protection. Psalm 103, 11 through 18, they have children to whom God shows compassion. Psalm 112, 2, they have descendants who will be great on the earth in the most important ways. Psalm 112, 4 through 5, are, to be motiva- are motivated to be gracious and generous. These are blessings that come from the Lord for those who fear Him. These are the results of fearing God. Psalm 112, 6 through 8, and Proverbs 14, 26, they will be confident, courageous people. 112, 5 through 6, and Proverbs 19, 23, they will experience contentment. You'll be praying people whose prayers, prayers will be heard in Psalm 145, 19. They'll be blessed with wisdom in Proverbs 1, 7 and Proverbs 9, 10. 
It will be teachable and peaceful. That's a blessing from the Lord, to be teachable and peaceful. Proverbs 8, 13, 14, 26. Proverbs 15, 33. Acts 9, 31. They're characterized by integrity and faithfulness. Job 2, 3. They're considerate and kind. Psalm 112, 4 through 5. If you're noticing a pattern here, go study Psalm 112. They're noted for constructive speech, Malachi 3.16. They're patient, hopeful, and genuine, Psalm 147.11. They persevere in doing what is right, Psalm 112.3.5, 2 Corinthians 7.1. They work hard, but are not so committed to work that they do not have time for enjoyment. Oh, you mean you don't have to work all the time and God does give you enjoyment? Yes, Psalm 128.3. Accept responsibility for their own families and yet are not overly responsible. Psalm 128.3 They recognize God's sovereignty over the family. God's control and power over the family. They're devoted to their families and find them to be a source of great satisfaction. Psalm 128.1-4 They delight in worshiping God. Revelations 14.7 They love the scripture and order their lives according to God's command. Psalm 112.1 and Ecclesiastes 12.13 you know, the world longs for the good life. If you type in on, the, on Google, the good life, I mean, pages come up. People long for the good life, and you think, well, that doesn't sound very biblical. Actually, it's, that's a biblical word. When God created all things, he said it was very good. So we want to go back to the good life as he, as he defined it. But because of sin, we look for it in the wrong places, don't we? And yet the fear of the Lord is the right place to look for that good life. It's by the fear of the Lord alone that we can find that good life. It's centered upon Him and not upon us. We have seen that before sin, at the beginning of mankind, the fear of God existed and the fear of man did not. So how did we lose the first fear of God and gain the second fear of man? And the answer is sin. Let me quote from the notes here. At the fall, Adam and Eve chose to give up the perfect fear of the Lord. In the fall, they learned a new fear of the Lord, a fear of his wrath and judgment. And they learned a fear of man, a fear of rejection and exposure and physical harm. When we give up a proper fear of the Lord, we have no choice but to fear others. When we give up the right fear of the Lord, we are making a claim to be like God that we must defend, unquote. I'm going to pronounce his name Henry, but it's probably Henri. And I'm not even going to know how to pronounce his last name. I'm going to pronounce it blocker, but it probably Belosha is a French theologian. I have asked the Adams for help on that one. He's a professor of systematic theology and wrote in his commentary on Genesis entitled In the Beginning, and I'm going to quote uh, this. Listen to this. As soon as the disobedience is committed, the beauty and harmony of existence is shattered. He's talking about the, the fall in the garden. And in their place come shame, fear, and pathetic excuses. As soon as they claim to be like God, or as we claim to be like God, or small g, gods, in their autonomy, these human beings, the earthlings, undertake the defense of their claim. This is an obligation since they wish to be supreme. It is impossible for them not to discover at once the gulf between their intent and their resources, meaning the impossibility between wanting to be God ourselves and the impossibility of actually happen, that actually happening. How vulnerable are they in their finitude? How tender and defenseless is their flesh. Their first reflex is to protect themselves by concealment. You notice? They realized they were naked. What they went and do? They went and hid themselves. The threat springs in particular between the man and the woman. By posing each as absolute, they absolutize their difference. Being face to face now means they are opponents. By rejecting the divine reference that united them, each claims for himself and herself the position of ultimate reference. Each wishes to make the other his or her creation, an object to dominate. Do you wonder why marriage is so difficult and sanctifying? When it, because of the fall, and why marriages without Christ are hopeless. Because before the fall, after the fall, it's, it's no longer unity, it's opposition. And I, I like this person, but how well can I use them for me? And yet Christ comes and changes that, as we'll see here in a minute. Each finds in the other a rival God, 
and an independence that threatens their own. In order to evade the aggressive or seductive look which seeks to captivate, to captivate and to capture, they attempt to cover their nakedness which is so vulnerable and thereby they admit to it according to the paradox of shame. We often turn the gospel as the great exchange. Our sin for the righteousness of Christ as we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew so, no sin to be righteousness on our behalf. But that was in many ways the second great exchange. There's one actually before that that required the second, which is Romans one twenty three. Go look there for me. Claiming to be wise, that's us. That's us. That's me. That's you. Claiming to be wise. Claiming to be able to handle it. Claiming to know, think we, we know how to do this. Outside of God, we became fools. And exchange, there it is, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And the result, according to Genesis 3-7, and then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This nakedness was not merely a realization that they did not have clothes. It's a a signal that there was death. There There was a shift. There was a change. There was a cataclysmic change. There was spiritual death. Quote, they have gone from the pinnacle of creation who alone were able to worship and experience communion with the triune God to being physically alive and cut off from God. They are now deeply fear of being exposed by God. They are ashamed in his presence. At the fall, everything changed. Perfection moved to death. Fear of God to the fear of man. Harmony with God to being lost. And the first 11 chapters of the Bible opens the narrative of Scripture. By showing clearly that if we are to fear God, regain what we once were given by Him, something, that's going to, something is going to have to happen outside of ourselves for us to gain a fear of the Lord. We cannot do it. We lost it. We gave it up. And because of our sin, we cannot reconcile the problem. We are going to have to have intervention. Intervention. God is going to have to extend grace to us to teach us to fear Him rather than man. Before we bring a conclusion to that, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. We won't leave man in his sin. We'll give the the remedy for it. But let's look at Isaiah chapter 6 and unpack a little bit this definition of reverent submission that leads to obedience. And this is probably a very well-known chapter at least a couple of verses here for many of us, but look at them and the object here are the, the lens of fear of God. Isaiah um, chapter 6, I'm going to just read the first five verses. Follow along with me. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah gets a picture here of who God is. Notice verse 4. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I've said it before, and I love the saying from R.C. Sproul, that the, the doorpost had the good sense to be moved by the power of God in his presence. Verse 5, and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And notice something here. That Isaiah seeing God leads to a dramatic encounter of worship. And we so often in the church want want to water this God down in order to bring people in, and yet... 
Stephen Lawson says, the higher your theology, the greater your doxology. The higher your view and understanding of God, the greater your worship for him will be. And this, this seeing God brought about such a dramatic response of worship that Isaiah, he didn't care what was going on or who was around him. He had no capacity to fear man at that moment. He was completely full of the fear of the Lord. So what does he do? Well, he responds in humility, verse 6. Verse 5, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And this wasn't just kind of a pity party begging, trying to feign humility. This, he, was, he was at his very end. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The pre, and, and not even in all his glory. And yet, he responds in humility. And then what happens? Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, I'm going to stop there. What are some barriers to fearing the Lord? There's three of them. The world, the flesh, the devil. Those are three barriers, the three barriers that you will encounter in fearing the Lord. The world, the flesh, the devil. Not much needs to be said about other than this world is not your home and if you're hoping to just get by easy and develop a fear of the Lord without much of a struggle, you're naive at best. This is going to be a battle. Because within the safe confines of your own home, you're going to battle tremendously the fear of the Lord just by your own pride and selfishness, the flesh. If you go out into the world, all that the world offers in its entirety, it will give you a message that says, you're amazing. You're awesome. God's not. And then the devil's working on every angle he can possibly get a hold of to tell you, hey, hey. Some examples of those who feared the Lord. We've got Noah. I I don't know all that happened. Genesis doesn't give much of an account, but that hundred years there, building an ark... But I can imagine there had to have been some very specific instances where Noah had to take a gut check and go, no, I'm going to fear God rather than fear man. Daniel was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The decision to not partake of the king's meat and drink, the decision is not to bow down to a false idol, uh, not only are you not bowing down to a false idol like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right next to the false idol is there a, a furnace. You can feel the heat of it. And they're saying, you don't, you don't do that, you're over there. I mean, if you ever stood anywhere near next to a fire, you know your body's absolutely repulsed to it. And, then, and yet here they are, fearing God rather than fearing man, and to the point that they're, they're willing to be cast into the fire. Esther, in the face of Haman's wicked plot to destroy God's people, willing to fear God rather than man. Ruth went into the fields and served her mother-in-law, risking physical and maybe even sexual abuse, and yet she feared God rather than man. Rahab, Mary in Luke 1, praises the Lord and recounts His goodness and speaks of her fear of the Lord and her joy in carrying the very Son of God in her womb. And we take that so lightly but the amount of rejection she may have had to encounter was something we may probably never experience. That she would, she would have a child. Why do you have a child? You're not even married. That was very looked down upon. Obviously, it's sin. Paul follows the Lord faithfully from his conversion until death at the hands of Nero. The women who went to the tomb, Peter, I think we probably can relate to Peter more than most in Scripture. You know, just the swings. Fear, God, uh, fear man three times. Deny God over here. Just loving God. And seeking to do what is not, was not popular. He went to the house of Cornelius. Obviously Christ is uh, the perfect example of fearing God rather than man. Go read Hebrews 11. Count the heroes of the faith. Go, go read the, uh, the books of great believers. Think of Luther... Uh, Jim Elliot. Now let's go back to Isaiah 6. How do we gain a fear of God? 
At, because of sin, you cannot fear God on your own, nor can I. It ha- something has to happen outside of us. God's grace has to be extended to us. And we see that happen in verse 7 of Isaiah 6 as a, as a picture. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a, a burning coal. He had taken a tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And he doesn't just sit there, does he? No reverent submission that leads to obedience. Verse 8, and, when I, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. I, I can imagine Isaiah not just saying, Hey, hey, me. I mean, leaping. Here am I. Send me. Because I am completely unworthy to go. And yet God, in His fullest grace, has cleansed me from my sin. My guilt has been taken away. My sin has been atoned for. If you, if you look at the Genesis account, in our nakedness, how do, what does he do? In Isaiah 61.10, we found out we've been clothed with the, with the righteousness of Christ. We, all that that pictured in the fear of man has now been culminated in the gospel, that we now have no need to fear man, but only to fear God, and that he has clothed us with his righteousness. Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Not only has she, not only has Christ clothed us, he's brought us back into to right relationship to him with the gospel. And not just sort of as person, you know, you sort of like, and yeah, you kind of have to... No, as a bride, something he just loves and wants to adorn and bless. He provided physical clothing in the garden. And, and notice in the garden, there is the first sacrifice. An animal lost its life that they might be covered. And then Christ, who would come and live a perfect sinless life and die that he might clothe us in his righteousness. Only because of the gospel can we gain a fear of the Lord. So how do we start to fear the Lord? How do we put off the old, put on the new according to Ephesians? How do we put on the fear of the Lord, put off the fear of man? Thomas Chalmers, a Puritan, wrote a small work called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And if you've not read, read the work, it's a small article. You can find it on the internet. It's free. Or email me. I'll send you a copy. But in the work, he rightly argues, uh, I believe, that the way to, to shift... Uh, or expel or remove an old idol or sin in the heart of me, the heart of man, is to bring about a greater object of worship. Because if I've got this idol and I'm worshiping myself, what's the best way to remove that? I can go to work. I can try hard. I can do what Colossians warns against, which we'll get to in our study in the main service in a couple months, which is uh, don't do this, don't do that. Give me myself a list of rules, or I can replace it by something greater, and it it gets expulsed. It gets removed. The best way to remove fear of man is to fear God. Quote: Only a greater fear will displace a lesser fear. More to come on that thought. But our main concern should not be finding solutions to our fear of man, but instead seeking after a deeper fear of the Lord. And I'll give two recommendations. First. And developing a greater fear of the Lord would be to meditate on the gospel. And we say that lots around here, don't we? You should meditate on the gospel. But how often do we actually wake up in the morning or go throughout our day and reflect on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of our salvation? That the King of kings and the Lord of lords has come. He's laid down his life. He was buried. He rose again. He rules. He's preeminent. That he broke, that he shattered the bondage of sin and death upon our life and has given us a relationship for eternity. How often do we comprehend that because of Christ, the gospel, the good news, that 24-7, 365, 60 seconds out of every 60 minutes, we have communion with the Savior of the universe, the Creator of the universe. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we really have to take a a step back and say, no, what fruit in my life do I see that has come from meditating on the gospel, 
or not meditating on the gospel. And the fruit of one will be fear of God and the fruit of others will be idols and worship of self and fear of man and sin. A small resource I would encourage, which we've handed out before, would be the Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. And uh, we've been working on and polishing up, but uh, we actually, Christopher actually uh, took this and we put this to music. Christopher didn't sing it. Um, (laughs) He read it. Uh, The voice God given him is great for these things, and he read it, narrated this, and we put it to music. So you could listen to it. Just drink in the gospel in its entirety. If you've not read this, you can find, I think, probably find uh, Milton's Vincent, the Gospel Primer for Christians, either the whole book or just his narrative online about it. And it's, it's fabulous. But meditate on the gospel. And, and just by way of example, a practical example, I want to give a, just a quick word here uh, of exhortation, uh, an example by how the gospel helps us move from the fear of man to the fear of God. And, and just by using the example of parenting, um, for example, your children probably don't do this, but my children have, which is lying. <laughs> and if, if your children lie, the tendency is to say, don't lie, right? You shouldn't have done that. Or whatever means that you use to discipline them on why they should not have done that. And they'll probably get the point the first time. But then they'll do it again. And as they get older and refine their abilities on sin, the punishments don't work as well. And they actually find out there are pleasures of sin for a season. If I lie well enough, I can get something out of this that I like. And so they do it well. And so if you just say, don't do that, Where does that leave your child? Absolutely no hope, no ability, and no tools to fight. Other than, I should not do this. But the world, the flesh, and the devil is going to say, Oh, but you should. Let me show you what you can gain out of this. But what does the gospel do in that situation? Now, this takes time. And it's age-appropriate and all of these things. But you can do it with a two-year-old. And they're probably not going to get it. But it's good practice for you as the parent. So that when they're a little older, they, you know how to do it well. But you, you sit them down and you explain, why did you lie, son? Why did you lie, daughter? I, I don't know. I don't know either. But I, I, know, I know the heart that it came from because it's my heart as well. There's sin there. And you wanted something or you feared something you were going to get. I asked you if you hit your sister and you said, no, I didn't. Because you didn't want to be punished. I understand that. That's a fear of me. You don't want to be punished. But let me show you something. That because you fear that you will either be punished or you fear you won't get what you want or whatever it is that you're working with, what you're actually saying is, I'm more important than the right thing. What is the right thing? So how do you know what the right thing is? The God's, God's the right thing. We know that Scripture is the right thing. Well, how, how, do you not, how do you not lie... You, you don't lie because God came and he says that the truth will set you free. And that if you believe in Jesus Christ, there's no, there's no need to fear whether or not you will be punished for the wrong thing. In fact, you will rejoice, according to Proverbs and Psalms, in that suffering because, using age-appropriate words, I'm getting big for you guys, um, in, that, in that punishment, knowing that, Christ died for you and took the ultimate punishment you deserve. You do that enough, you talk your children through enough in the gospel, and they begin to at least be able to talk that back to you, and the seeds are planted, and later on you're able to they're able to they're able to the Holy Spirit's able to come and minister to them because they now know the truth. You've got to give the truth though. And there's a, a psychotherapy side that would just want to kind of help fix the situation. As believers in Christ, the truth, the gospel, is, is what we should use from the very beginning to the very end. There's never a time that the gospel is not relevant. We've got to meditate on the gospel. How about number two? I said I'd give two recommendations. Here's the other one. Study the character of God. Have a greater theology. Have a greater doxology. Uh, I would encourage you to come to the attributes of God studying that will continue in August. 
Uh, we're only have done three. There's 13 more to go. And almost every one could be uh, a solo lesson. So come develop a greater uh, understanding of the, uh, of the attributes of God. And there's really nothing more important or worthy of your time and effort than to develop a greater understanding of who God is. In closing, remember we had three barriers to fearing God and I think pride will be the one we'll have to fight the most. Thinking, well, I'm meditating on the gospel or thinking, well, I do know God enough. There are the I know God's attributes when we really got to repent of that pride. We've got to renounce it and turn away from it. We would think, well, I don't, I don't need to meditate on the Lord as much. I don't need to read the Bible as much as I, some people. I, I've got this. I may have an experience. I may have an insight. When in actuality, no, no, you don't. Come to the Savior. Go see Him. Go learn of His attributes. Go learn of His glory. Go learn of His work that you were unable to do and that He did for you, namely save us from hell. And when you do that, that kills pride. It just... Blast it right out of there by meditating on the gospel and God's attributes. To fear God is to reverently submit to him in such a way that leads to obedience. The world would like to tell you that fearing God doesn't mean fear, but it actually does. Because when we fear something, it elicits a response. And a fear of God will always elicit the right responses. Ultimately, obedience that is for his glory and is namely for our good. And that that is what we were designed to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we would plead your grace upon us as we would oftentimes, probably most of the time, in our pride, not fear you, want to worship ourselves, have to fight these things. But we thank you, Father, that you've given us the tools, namely that you've given us Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and that we, if we believe on Him and repent, You save us and You give us all the ability, all the tools needed to walk in right relationship with You, to fear God rather than fear man, to gain the blessings, to gain the character that comes from when we do fear You. Father, thank you for this study. Thank you for the, the way you've used it in my own life to, to reveal where I'm fearing man more than I'm fearing you. And I would ask, Lord, for grace in my own life and those that are seeing some of the same things and that you would allow us to uh, respond and, and worship to you and, and see that you're not telling us not to fear man because we're missing out on something that we think we're missing out on, but we're actually missing out on the best, which is the fear of God, where we find our ultimate source of happiness and satisfaction in you alone, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of whatever else is happening in our life. When we fear God, we have a peace that passes all understanding. Give us grace to do that. And then, Father, I, I would pray that that would be a right fear of God that we would then that would draw us to obedience to going out into the world going to the lost and showing them the glorious worth of our Savior above all else thank you for this day in Jesus precious name we pray Amen